This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, July 26, 2023. And of course, that means two things. It means that this is DCA Wednesday, and it means that we are celebrating two years of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. As you're probably aware, our first ever podcast was back on July 25th, 2021. So two years ago yesterday, that was a weekend update episode. Uh, shortly thereafter, we started a DCA Wednesday series, stacking $20 of the Bitcoin every Wednesday. And we've been doing that now for two years. We started that. Uh, that's going to be two years in, in basically two days. But we've already stacked for more than two years worth of Wednesdays, or this will be more than two years worth of Wednesdays. Before we get into all that and more, though, a real quick look at the vital statistics. As I mentioned, it is Wednesday, July 26, 2023, and we have crossed block height 800,000. We're currently sitting at a Bitcoin blockchain block height of 800,407. As you know, we're getting really close to the halving. The next Bitcoin miner we're having is scheduled to be at block 840,000, so TikTok next block. Bitcoin's currently ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of $29,500 or 3,390 sats per dollar. And as I mentioned, that puts us 39,593 blocks away from the next Bitcoin halving. Bitcoin halves its minor award every 210,000 blocks. Of course, the next one, as I mentioned, will occur at block 840,000. And currently that's looking like that's gonna happen on April 20th, 2024. Of course, that is based on block height and blocks come in at various times. Obviously they're intended to come in on average with a, uh, you know, a time between blocks of 10 minutes on average. That obviously is random. Um, and we've seen it usually coming in faster than 10 minutes because the network is growing. And, you know, that's why we've had repeated network difficulty increases, mining difficulty increases, although we've had a few decreases, including one just yesterday, uh, or not even yesterday, just a few hours ago. Um, but I digress. Currently, uh, it is looking like that halving is going to be on 420, Elon Musk's favorite number, and we will talk more about Elon Musk here in just a minute. But back to the vital statistics. Bitcoin currently has a market capitalization of $573.5 billion, still about half of that you know, over 1 trillion market cap that Bitcoin achieved when it set its previous all-time high, actually um, under its previous all-time high. I think Bitcoin has to break about 50,000 US dollars to hit the 50 or the $1 trillion market cap. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what the market cap was when it was at $69,000, but there are more Bitcoin in existence now, uh, more Bitcoin circulating in the Bitcoin economy now than there were uh, at the all-time high. So when we do eclipse the all-time high, Bitcoin's market cap should be even higher. All right. For those of you who continue to value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it will currently cost you 15.1 ounces of gold uh, to purchase just one Bitcoin, almost an entire pound of gold for one Bitcoin. And for those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you approximately 1,670 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's, a heck of a lot more value than uh, Laszlo got for that first Bitcoin purchase on the first Bitcoin pizza day where he traded uh, 10,000 Bitcoin for two large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. And speaking of uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin activity, the mempool has been trending uh, the mempool has been trending higher. As the, the, the mempool bloat has been trending upwards again. Uh, last Wednesday, there were approximately 43 blocks of the transactions planning in the mempool, and that is now up to 54 blocks with the transactions. Uh, we had seen, you know, hundreds of blocks with the transactions pending when ordinals and inscriptions were first launched. 
And then that had started to trend back down. I think we saw it as low as 33 blocks, uh, 32 blocks worth of transactions pending uh, two weeks ago. And then it's been slowly trending back up ever since. However, uh, a lot of those are not on-chain Bitcoin transactions. Uh, well, they're all on-chain Bitcoin transactions, but they're not Bitcoiners transacting in Bitcoin. They're, you know, smaller transactions utilizing uh, utilizing uh, the, the header space only, basically to transcribe data, like the ordinals and inscriptions, et cetera. Um, so because of that, if you need to do an on-chain transaction and you need to guarantee that it's included in the next block, Clark Moody's mempool is estimating that it will only cost you a fee of 13 sats per V-byte to guarantee that. So even though the mempool is a little fuller than it was last Wednesday, that's a little cheaper. Last Wednesday, they were recommending a fee of 14 sats per V-byte. And along those lines, they're recommending a fee of six sats per V-byte if you want to guarantee your transaction is included within a day or five sats per V-byte minimum to make sure your transaction is included in approximately a week's time frame. Mempool.space gives a slightly different picture. Last week, they were saying that a, a fee of six sats per V-byte would, uh, would be sufficient for a high priority transaction. They've almost doubled that. This week, they're recommending an 11 sat per V-byte fee. Still below the 13 that Clark Moody's recommending, uh, but almost double what they were recommending last week. That's still only a US dollar value of about 45 cents though. So still the cheapest way that you can transact, that you can send money globally uh, around the world, let alone taking into account, you know, it's permissionless, it's permissionlessness, the, the value that you get from being able to send money to anyone, anywhere without, without permission, without a bank being able to delay or deny your transaction. Still cheaper than you can mail a check. You know, it's, it's more than 45 cents just, uh, just for the stamp to mail a check to somebody. And you know, if you're a business, I've spoken about this before, uh, banks absolutely hose you on, on fees for printing business checks. Uh, I think the last time I ordered checks for business, they were more than a dollar a piece uh, just for the pre-printed checks. So, you know, just a blank check was going to cost you a dollar. And that doesn't include any banking transaction fees or the stamp to mail it uh, if you're going to send it somewhere. And of course, uh, if you're going to mail that check to China or somewhere on the other side of the world, of course, that's even more than just a 56 cent stamp. All right. Speaking of on-chain, that metric that has always been my favorite metric to follow until the whole taproot activation uh, changed change that by allowing ordinals and inscriptions uh, is the network's 24-hour on-chain transaction rate. And that's actually down a little bit, despite the fact the mempool bloat is up. Uh, the on-chain transaction volume has been averaging 5.41 transactions per second, down from the 5.61 transactions per second last week. And of course, significantly more than the max of four transactions per second you would have seen prior to, uh, prior to the whole taproot activation. Speaking of on-chain and mining difficulty, uh, we had a mining difficulty adjustment, a downward difficulty adjustment. Looks like that was 55 blocks ago. And uh, that was a significant decrease in minor difficulty, a decrease of 2.9%. Probably a lot of that has to do with, you know, the ongoing heat wave out West. As you know, a lot of the mining in the United States is done in Texas. And a lot of those big commercial miners have agreements with the power companies to turn their miners off when demand for electricity is through the roof and to sell their, their power allotment back to the grid. So obviously uh, as summer continues and the, uh, the hot temperatures continue in hot places like Texas, uh, some of those miners are probably still offline. Uh, that is a lot steeper than what we were looking at a week ago. Obviously, you know, those are just forecasts, but last week it was looking like it was gonna be a small decrease of about 0.35%, or sorry, a small decrease of about 1%. The range was 1.1 to 1.91% was what the forecasts were last week, depending where you get your data. I think Clark Moody was forecasting 1.91 and uh, BTC.com was forecasting 1.1%. Uh, nonetheless, Bitcoin does adjust the difficulty to mine the next block every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks. Obviously, it, it took a little longer than two weeks, and that is why we had a difficulty decrease to try and speed those blocks up. We're currently 1,961 blocks away from the next halving, 
That's looking like that's going to be exactly two weeks from now on Wednesday, August 9th. And it is way too early to tell. And as a result, uh, the forecasts are all over the place. BTC.com is predicting that it's going to be another difficulty adjustment decrease of minus 0.35%. But Clark Moody's dashboard is showing a whopping 0.93% decrease in difficulty, almost 10%. Uh, as I mentioned, it's almost not even worth discussing that because we're only 55 blocks into this epic. And as you know, Bitcoin targets an average of 10 minute block time. But that's kind of like, as I've always said, finding a block is similar to flipping a coin. If you flip a coin once, you may get heads, you may get tails. So you have a 50-50 chance. If you flip a coin four or five times in a row, though, it's possible to get heads five times in a row or tails five times in a row. But if you flip that coin 2,000 times, you should get about 1,000 heads and 1,000 tails because you have a 50-50 chance. So if you average out 2,016 blocks, uh, you know, th then then you should be closer to that 10 minute average. When you're when you're only talking 55 blocks, anything's possible. So we'll get a much better idea in about a week, and even that will still be uh, they'll still be too far out to tell because a lot could happen. You know, the the heat wave could end. Although you know we're talking August 9th, so still pretty hot and humid in Texas in August, and the humidity has more to do with the electricity demand often than the heat does. If you don't live where it's super hot and humid, like Florida or Texas, uh, it takes a lot more work to cool down humid air. You know, the air conditioners are basically drying the air out, sucking that humidity out of the air, hot air or humid air. You know, water is more dense than air. So the more water in the air, the more the more thermal mass it has. So the harder it is to cool. I digress. This is a uh, this is a Bitcoin show, not a physics show. And most of you are probably tech savvy enough that you understand that anyway. Carrying on, I want to stop real quick and thank those of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain App. Uh, you can earn sats just for listening to your favorite podcast on Fountain. So in addition to supporting your favorite podcast through the value for value model, such as streaming sats on the on a permanent basis or sending a, a boost, a smash tip, basically, to your favorite podcast, you can actually earn a few sats. Fountain has been a little less generous with their sats that they've been doling out. I think the last several times they've been limiting you to about 60 sats per day. And a couple of days they they were only paying out if you listen to promoted podcasts. Sometimes it was more than 60 sats, like you might get two or 300 sats for listening to a podcast. And that's not a lot, but I like to think of it similarly as people used to refer to the Bitcoin faucets back in the day when uh, people were giving away Bitcoin just for clicking on a web page and you get 25 Bitcoin just for going to a website. And that was worthless, basically, at the time. Uh, but boy, 25 Bitcoin isn't worthless now. And if Bitcoin ever hits dollar sat parity, you know, that's $100 billion per Bitcoin. But, you know, the difference between where we are now and $100 billion per Bitcoin is not that far considering where Bitcoin has come from, a, from being basically worthless to being worth almost $30,000 a coin. So... You know, even if Bitcoin only hits a million, a uh, million dollars per coin, that's still, you know, uh, 50 or 60 cents for, for listening to a podcast. And uh, if you were walking by and found a dollar bill on the ground or even a quarter on the ground, most people are going to stop and pick that up. Uh, and one of the things I like about um, about Fountain and, and there's other ways to get free Bitcoin, like, you know, there's Thunder games out there you can play. Uh, a number of different games on, on their app, such as like, I, I play Solitaire sometimes when I'm really bored and you can earn sats for that. And it isn't a lot. Maybe you get, you know, 10, 20, 30 sats, but I stream them to my lightning node. And for me, even if it won't have any significant dollar value one day, you know, lightning transactions are basically free. They might cost you a Satoshi, right? So when you're rebalancing your channels and you're managing a lightning node, if I get 60 sats for listening to a podcast, basically that covers the cost of, of, of managing my lightning node. So um, nobody likes to see their, their Satoshi balance go down, especially when you're, you know, if you're maintaining a node and you're doing it basically as a public service, a lightning node where you're potentially even losing money just to, just to be part of the network. Uh, it's nice to be able to have a way to, to uh, replenish those sats for just listening to a podcast. And speaking of listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners is almost exactly the same as it was last week. 
The percentages have changed just a tiny bit. In fact, the only percentage that's changed is the United States percentage has gone up 1%. Uh, it's trended up to where 55% of you are listening from the United States, from the United States, but the remainder of the top 10 the, have, have stayed in the exact same order and the percentages have stayed the same. So as I mentioned, the United States remains number one with 55% of you listening from the United States. Argentina remains in the number two spot Still 11% of you listening from Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany, with 7% of you are listening from Germany. So danke schön, danke, danke für alles, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Thank you for listening from Germany. Number four remains Luxembourg, where 4% of you are listening. Again, danke schön, um, or morien to my friends who speak Luxembourgish. And we know at least one of you is both Germany and Luxembourg, because as Leggy mentioned in a previous boost, uh, sometimes they listen uh, from Germany and sometimes they listen from Luxembourg while they're commuting. Number five remains Canada. 2% of you are still listening from Canada. So thank you to our friends in the frozen white north. Probably not so frozen right now, unless you go way north. Six remains Spain, with 2% of you listening from Spain. So muchos gracias, amigos. Number seven remains Venezuela, where 2% of you are listening from. So again, muchos gracias, amigos. And number eight remains Colombia. Again, 2% of you listening from Colombia. Once again, muchos gracias, amigos. And number nine remains Sweden, where 1% of you are listening. And I still don't know how to say hello or thank you in Swedish. And number 10 remains Singapore, where 1% of you are listening. And once again, I don't know how to say hello or thank you to those of you listening in Singapore in anything other than English. So thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. Thank you to those of you listening in Singapore. Uh, hit me up, give me a shout out, uh, DM me on Twitter. Let me know how to say hello in whatever language you speak in Sweden and Singapore. Uh, you know, whether you speak Swedish or whether you speak English or whether you speak, you know, Swahili, whatever your, your, your language that you speak while you're listening, uh, uh, where you're listening from. Not necessarily what language is spoken in the country you're in, but, you know, maybe what language is spoken in your family. And of course, hovering at number 11 is still Mexico, where 1% of you are listening. Uh, and again, that's outside of the top 10, but muchas gracias, amigos, nonetheless, uh, and Mexico. All right, a quick look at the news. Of course, the most breaking news was today's uh, federal, uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve's uh, FOMC meeting and their interest rate increase. Of course, they did exactly what they were forecast to do. They've been saying all along that they're going to do two more, you know, one quarter percent or 0.25 percent interest rate increases this year. And they were expected to raise by a quarter percent today and then maybe again in September or October. And of course, they did exactly that. They raised interest rates by a quarter percent. For the first time, the markets did not freak out. It appears that the consensus is that this was finally priced in. I've ranted about this almost every month for the last year that, you know, the Fed says they're going to raise interest rates. They raise interest rates and then the markets tank uh, because everyone thinks they're going to pivot any second now. And, and they just continue to do what they said they're going to do. Uh, uh, so basically, that didn't have any effect on either the stock markets or the price of Bitcoin with headlines uh, such as the street.com saying Bitcoin price stable as Federal Reserve raises interest rates. Despite the 0.25% increase in interest rates, Bitcoin only moved toward a market price of $30,000. The lack of movement was seen as a positive indicator as the Fed mulls more raises in order to combat inflation. Uh, Jerome Powell's press conference was a little more limited. He didn't give any as, as many specifics or forecasts as he did in the previous press conference, post-meeting press conference. He did, however, say that this is a long-term strategy that, you know, they have this goal of getting inflation down to 2% and that, you know, they're, they've only just begun basically, um, that, that, uh, interest rates will get, you know, are going to be, are they going to remain high for an extended period of time, uh, until interest rates come down uh, and that hasn't changed. And you know, my opinion on the feds impact on interest rates that, um, that, you know, Maybe you can drag. I'm sorry on inflation. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. You can knock inflation down by putting millions of Americans out of work. Um, but we all know what actually caused inflation. We know that doubling the number of printed U.S. dollars in 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 circulation had a heck of a lot to do with why the the value of the U.S. dollar plummeted so dramatically. 
but we know that and that's why we're Bitcoiners, right? Uh, Business Insider had a similar headline, but this time they were lamenting Bitcoin's low volatility under their first mover, Asia. Bitcoin post-Fed rate hike fizzles. Will BTC's recent low visit- vis- volatility last much longer? We usually see relatively low volatility during the, you know, the accumulation phase of the four-year cycle. As Adam Meister, and I reference him frequently, always says in his 210,000 block theory, which is basically the four-year cycle theory, the having theory, is that uh, we're repeating 2019. You know, in the lead up the year prior to the having, that's basically Bitcoin has bottomed and it hasn't and it basically just uh, it just it goes sideways. This is the crab market, right? We see some ups and we see some downs like the last accumulation phase. Bitcoin, I think, went up to like sixteen thousand dollars and then back down to three thousand um, dollars. But in general, if you zoomed out, it was sideways until the halving. And then it's not until six months to a year after the halving that we see Bitcoin set, you know, not set a new all time high. Well, yeah, retake, reclaim its previous all time high and then go on to set new all time highs. So. Traditionally, the halving is the end of the accumulation phase, although right at the halving, for some reason, people expect that to be like a magic light switch, and it never really works out that way. Um, You know, Bitcoin basically stays flat for a couple of months and then, or maybe trends up slowly. And then, you know, we get that really euphoric bull market six months to a year later. So if history repeats or even rhymes, we will have the next halving about April 20th of 2024, and about six months after that would be you know, the end of October, the beginning of November 2024. So maybe October, November, December, we should see Bitcoin eclipse its previous all-time high of 69,000 uh, and then go on to set a new blow-off top you know, in, a, in the months following that before the cycle repeats and we have the next bear market and then the next sideways market leading into the 2028 halving. Uh, but... As you know, if you've been following Bitcoin for any length of time, in general, the trend, if you zoom out, is up and to the right. You know, think of the four-year cycle, not quite as stair steps because these would be spiky stairs, right? In, instead of just going up to the next stop, they shoot way up and then they come back down to the step and then it goes sideways across the step. And then the next time it shoots way up and then comes back down and then goes sideways for a bit. But you get the picture. With that being said, $30,000 does continue to remain that magic number that I've spoken about. Right now, of course, it's on the flip side of that with the uh, price of Bitcoin sticking to the underside of 29,000. But, you know, at 29,500 plus or minus, that's, you know, that's basically a rounding error from $30,000, just like 30,400 was a rounding error from $30,000. You know, when when you zoom out, when you look at the big picture, Bitcoin is still in the $30,000 range. Speaking of numbers, Plan B continues to get absolutely thrashed by haters. Uh, As you remember, Plan B came out with the stock to flow model for Bitcoin. Stock to flow is not necessarily an original concept to him. The stock to flow model basically gauges supply and demand of commodities. And he put together a model that showed that if you if you uh, if you look at Bitcoin in terms of its its halvings, its stock to flow ratio, uh, that that corresponded really well with Bitcoin's price activity in the past. And therefore, he was using it to forecast what price activity will look like in the future. And he actually wasn't that wrong. It did going into the all-time high, Bitcoin did hit his predictions almost uncannily accurately. But he was showing he was predicting that Bitcoin would get up to like one hundred and fifty or one hundred and eighty thousand dollars or something like that. And of course, it topped out at sixty nine thousand. And then a lot of people blamed him for losing money because they were trading based on his model and regardless of whether you like plan B or not, or whether you like models or not, or TA or not, in fairness to plan B, he always said, this is a model. And I think it's, even Michael Saylor says, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And I've often said that models are useful because they they show us where we may end up based on where we've been. It's not quite like a map. You know, it's not showing us where we're going. It's certainly not a crystal ball. And all models eventually break down and eventually are wrong. Uh, and I don't think Plan B was trying to guarantee that Bitcoin was going to get 150,000. But I found the model fun to look at. Uh, And speaking of Plan B and models, one prominent supporter of Plan B in the stock to flow model is Greg Foss. And he's on the Cafe Bitcoin 
spaces and or podcast. You know, it's, it's, it's a Twitter spaces that's also a podcast almost every morning. And he's he's come to Plan B's defense saying that, you know, stock to flow is very useful, that models are very useful, that he's been using models for 30 years, that, you know, models are just a tool. Obviously, nobody can predict the future of anything. You know, if, if you could truly predict the future when it came comes to Bitcoin, then, you know, we'd all be rich, right? Because we would have bought it when it was less than a penny. Uh, if you could predict the future, we all would have invested in Apple stock or Tesla stock. You know, nobody nobody can see that coming with clarity. Uh, models are just fun for, for visualizing where we may be. I'm a firm believer that the halving has an impact on price. And I think that's all his stock to flow model was really saying. So uh, don't trade based on anybody's model. Don't trade, period. You know, um, again, not, this is not financial advice, but um, we've always said that time in the markets beats timing the markets every time it's tried. Uh, so obviously you shouldn't be converting your fiat into Bitcoin because somebody puts a model out there that forecasts that Bitcoin will be more valuable one day. Uh, we're investing our US dollars into Bitcoin because we believe it's the future. We believe Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is going to make the world a better place. Because of that, it will have a higher price one day. Um, but that's not why we're into Bitcoin. We're into Bitcoin because we want to be part of the new economy, because it's exciting, because it's helping people. Uh, and the fact that it will probably be more valuable because it's helping people, because when it helps people, more people will want Bitcoin. Bitcoin is limited to 21 million coins ever. So because of its scarcity, it's limited supply. Uh, it would be logical to assume just with supply and demand that the price will go up, right? And of course it has from the very beginning. It's been trending, if, again, if you zoom out up and to the right uh, since its discovery. All right, and speaking of Twitter, this isn't exactly Bitcoin related unless you count any impact that it has on Bitcoin Twitter or as we mentioned, Twitter spaces. As you probably know, unless you're living under a rock, Twitter is now X. Uh, Elon is in the process of rebranding Twitter for whatever reason, he's come out with a couple of statements like he wants it to be, you know, uh, he wants it to be basically the WeChat, um, that, it, that he wants it to be, you know, more than just Twitter. He wants it to be where you go for everything, where you, where you, instead of going to Amazon, you would make your purchases on Twitter. Instead of going to using the bank or PayPal or Cash App, you'd be using Twitter to make your payments. Uh, as you remember, his very first company was X.com. That's the company he founded that ended up merging with PayPal. Apparently, when it did merge with PayPal, he was adamant that it retained the X.com name. But Peter Thiel and other investors basically said X.com sounds like a, uh, an adult website, not like a financial institution. And they wanted something more friendly like PayPal. And ultimately, that won out. Apparently, Elon's kind of held a grudge ever since then because um, now he has the opportunity to, well, if what he says about wanting to take over uh, global finance with Twitter is to be believed that bringing that back around full circle and renaming it x.com would certainly indicate um, at least that's a clue as to what Elon's thinking. You know, he's he, he likes to speak in messages cryptically in parable. Uh, and I think renaming Twitter to x.com uh, is a hint at what he has planned for the future. Or he's just going crazy and having a meltdown. <laughs> Only time will tell, right? One of the funniest things I heard, and again, this is on, I think this is on a Cafe Bitcoin as well. I don't remember who said it, so I apologize. But one of the co-hosts or speakers said that Elon just can't go, Elon just can't get over his ex. I thought that was funny. And, and, it's, and it's also kind of true. All right. BlackRock remains in the news and not just because of the speculation around its proposed Bitcoin ETF but also because of a study they did that's been garnering quite a bit of attention, especially on Twitter and Reddit. Uh, CoinMarketCap ran a headline, BlackRock study reveals opt optimal Bitcoin allocation and portfolio is 84.9%. This study is actually more than a year old. The article uh, goes on to say that conducted in April, 2022, the study conducted in April, 22, analyzed the performance of Bitcoin as an asset from July, 2010 to December, 2021 on a monthly basis. BlackRock's findings indicate that for a 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, with a fixed risk aversion of Y equals 1.5, the optimal allocation to Bitcoin is an astounding 84.9%. Uh, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. I believe that would indicate that uh, they already knew that Bitcoin was the future, even when they were saying that Bitcoin 
uh, was only going to be used by money launderers and were trying to downplay Bitcoin. Naturally, you would expect a large financial large financial institution that is not yet into Bitcoin but might have plans to be in the future to try and talk that asset down because when they do get in, if they're planning on getting in, they obviously want to get into the best price possible. People have been having a lot of fun with this on uh, on Twitter. Bitcoin Lebowski, he's at Dude J Lebowski, posted on Twitter uh, yesterday. Simply the reply of 84.9% Bitcoin, 15.1% sats. I agree, Bitcoin Lebowski, uh, get on zero, right? Uh, I certainly have a much higher allocation than 84.9%. Mississippi Hoddle, at Mississippi Hoddle on Twitter, uh, posted along these lines, damn it, I have to sell some Bitcoin, 15.1% to be exact, FML. Uh, inferring that he's 100% in and to get to BlackRock's goal, he has to dump 15.1% of his holdings. Not everyone apparently got that reference because some of his comments, for example, were care to share why you have, why you have to paper your hands or, you know, being a little more supportive. One, one commenter saying, you don't need, you don't need no one's permission, bro, besides life full of surprises. And you know what? That's good advice. Sometimes you have to sell Bitcoin, you know, if you have a medical bill or, or a new child or some expense comes up and you've saved and that's where all, all of your savings are in Bitcoin, then obviously you might need to convert some uh, to make those purchases or to pay those bills. Since most of the world is not on a Bitcoin standard yet, hopefully one day you'll be able to just pay in Bitcoin. But even then, you'll re be reducing your stack if a big bill comes up that you need to pay. So um, I clearly understand what you mean, Mississippi Hoddle, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to 100% as well. Speaking of BlackRock, uh, BlackRock was also in the news for their headline saying that, quote, Bitcoin could soar to $180,000 before the April 2024 halving as the potential BlackRock ETF, uh, blah, blah, blah. Basically, BlackRock is saying that, um, or people are saying that, that well, both BlackRock and people are saying that Bitcoin was going to soar in value because of the ETF, if the ETF is approved. And the speculation on why they would say this is run the gamut. My personal opinion, however, is that they probably already stacked a decent amount of Bitcoin. And naturally, they want to be able to sell their shares of their ETF for a significant profit. You know, if you're in the business of buying Bitcoin and then selling shares of an ETF based on the price of Bitcoin, it would be more profitable to sell those shares of an ETF for more than you paid for the underlying asset, right? If they could help pump the price of Bitcoin to $180,000, not even taking into account their management fees. They would make a pretty penny just on, well, what, 30,000 to 180,000 is 6X. So that's a heck of a return that they would make. So of course they're gonna say, say those uh, such things. Speaking of the world of traditional finance, we are getting the first rumblings that the banking crisis may not in fact be over. If you remember back in 2008, there was like a six month gap between the initial bank runs and then that big final collapse that took down you know, um, took down Wall Street and sent us into the great financial crisis, the, the great recession, as they called it, uh, with the headline, PacWest agrees to combine with Bank California. So if you recall, PacWest was one of the banks that people were saying might be the next one to fail. Uh, PacWest being a large California bank with billions of dollars in loans uh, outstanding and um, basically by getting, by being gobbled up by Bank of California, uh, or merging with Bank of California that hopefully takes their collapse off the table, but it's indicative of these banks being insolvent. The need for them to merge in the first place indicates that all is not necessarily well when it comes to the banking industry. Uh, and hopefully we're not repeating 2008 because if we do, uh, well, if we do, hopefully you have some dry powder because things are gonna be on sale. All right, speaking also of banks, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, has been tweeting about about banks and about Bitcoin, there was um, another banking, another banking conspiracy, another banking, uh, well, banking more uh, more people being debanked in the news. As you remember, Nigel Farage was debanked a couple of weeks ago in England, but apparently, uh, a doctor who is known for being critical of vaccines in general, somebody that uh, Robert F. Kennedy has referenced in the past, had his Chase bank accounts shut down. RFK Jr. tweeting. Yesterday, looks like Chase shut down longtime accounts of Mercola's company, employees, and their family members. No reason given. I wonder if it has anything to do with their medical descent. And he was 
retweeting Dr. Joseph Mercola saying, Chase Bank has shut down our business banking accounts along with the accounts of my CEO and CFO, as well as their family members, including their spouse and their child. They refuse to provide any information, any reason for doing so. The oldest account's been active for 18 years, etc. But RFK Jr. followed up his tweet with a reply saying, this kind of thing partly explains the appeal of Bitcoin. Our freedom to transact and save should not be at the mercy of political enforcers. No payment platform should be allowed to discriminate against people for exercising their right to free speech. As you know, I'm not a major fan of RFK Jr. on a lot of issues, but he is 100% right on the money here. Amen, RFK Jr. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Joseph McCurla uh, owned a retail health company based out of South Florida, Southwest Florida, I think the Cape Coral area, selling supplements. Uh, I, he has a, a fairly, I Googled it, he has a fairly large complex down there with like a cafe, a health food store, and, and they have like a concert venue or something. But uh, he also sells products. According to Wikipedia, for example, it says, Joseph Michael Mercola is an American alternative medicine proponent, osteopathic physician, and internet business personality. He markets largely unproven dietary supplements, unproven dietary supplements, so even that slant on, on Wikipedia. He markets largely unproven dietary supplements and medical devices on his website, Mercola and Mercola and colleagues advocate unproven pseudoscientific alternative health notions, including homeopathy and opposition to vaccination. If he really was debanked because he's a vaccine critic, um, that is really scary. If he was debanked because there's something nefarious or criminal going on that we don't know about, well, that's one thing. But all appearances are that he's being debanked because he's politically incorrect and he's being censored and and uh, punished financially for for his beliefs about vaccines, not just one vaccine, but vaccines in general, I guess. All right, back to the reason why we're really here, and that is because today is Wednesday, and every Wednesday is DCA Wednesday. What is DCA Wednesday, you might ask? Well, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 105th stack. We started stacking all the way back on July 28th, 2021. And so far we've stacked 104 times. We've converted a total of 2,080 US dollars, including $46.80 worth of fees, into a stack of 7,209,842 sats. And we've done so at an average cost basis of $28,849 and 45 cents. So still in the green, you know, we were upside down for a while, primarily because we started this experiment in between the two all-time highs. We started in July of 2021, the spring, what, April timeframe, Bitcoin had hit the new all-time high of 63,000 or whatever it was. Then it went down to in the 30,000s and then pumped all the way back up to 69,000 in the fall. So we bought all the way up to 69 and then we bought all the way back down and we bought consistently every Wednesday during the crab market. And buying during the crab market helped bring that dollar cost average, that average cost basis, uh, all the way down to 28,000. Uh, I think we got it as low as $28,750. The last couple purchases have raised our cost basis slightly. Today's purchase will probably do the same. To make that purchase, once again, as usual, we're going to use the handy dandy cash app. I use the cash app because I think it's the easiest way to stack sats in small amounts. It is not necessarily the cheapest way to stack sats. They do charge about a two and a quarter percent fee. However, when you're making a small purchase, for us, that's going to work out to about 45 cents in fees to make that purchase. But they're going to let us transfer our Bitcoin to our hardware wallet later and they're going to for free. Uh, so that's going to make up for that fee. Pretty much every exchange or app will charge you in one way or another. They're a business, right? Even Strike charges a spread. Uh, and they charge other fees now, like a 2% fee to use your debit card. Uh, so an app might say they're not charging you a fee, but they're if they charge you a spread that works out to 2 to 10%, then you're actually paying more, you know, because a spread is a fee, right? Either way, we're not recommending that you use Cash App. I just like Cash App. They're not a sponsor of the show. They might not even be available where you're at, but if they are and you are considering using them, 
please do so. Please sign up by, by clicking the link in our show notes. That'll get you $5 free just for signing up. And it'll tip the podcast five bucks as well. So not only will you help support the podcast, you will get paid to do so. Again, every every user of Cash App has their own referral code. So if you sign up for Cash App, you'll have a referral code to give to your friends and family. Uh, that is not make them a sponsor of the show. So I digress, but I've got Cash App open. I've already got $20 in there because somebody sent me money for something earlier this week. So I'm tapping on Bitcoin, tapping buy, manually entering $20 again because my choices are 10, 15, and 25 for some bizarre reason. You think they would make it easy for you and learn that I always buy 20 and make that the default, but nonetheless, enter $20, tap and confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 66,612 sets. Price of Bitcoin dipped a little bit while I've been yammering. We purchased at a price of $29,349.15 plus that 45 cent fee, which means our average cost our average cost for this purchase is more like $30,000. Um, and perhaps as importantly, that did raise our average cost basis by another $10.76. So we've increased our stack to 7,276,454 sats and raised our cost basis to $28,860.21, which is still, you know, less than what the current purchase price of or the current US dollar price of Bitcoin is. Uh, and again, none of that should matter. All that should matter is the size of your stack. When Bitcoin does set that new all-time high, uh, you're going to be kicking yourself. Everybody does. Even if you're stacking as hard as you can, you always have that wonder, I should have stacked more. Could I have stacked more? Could I have sold my car? Could I have sold my chair, as the meme goes, right? What could I have done to have acquired more Bitcoin? And if you're honestly stacking as hard as you feel you can afford to stack, and that is a personal decision you have to make, Again, do your own research. This is not financial advice. But as long as you honestly stacked as earnestly as you believe you can, uh, you can minimize some of that regret. It's not necessarily regret. Like, I don't regret how many sats I've stacked. I might wish I had stacked more, but I, I honestly feel I've done everything I can. And I'm stacking more than just the $20 a week that we're stacking for this show. That is purely an experiment so that we could we could test out DCA do things. We could check out the, th the the hypothesis behind dollar cost averaging. And I think we've proven that that was the smartest thing to do because had we YOLO'd in on July 20th, 2021, the price of Bitcoin was $39,716 that day. We would have more than a million, almost 2 million fewer sats uh, than we currently have. And our average cost basis, of course, would have been $39,716 and not the 28,000 uh, average cost basis we're currently at. None of this really matters because if Bitcoin does hit that $1 million moon one day, just our current stack alone will be worth $72,764.54. Uh, and if, you know, if Bitcoin does become the new global reserve currency, if Bitcoin uh, is the only secure and reliable money remaining at that point in time, uh, having a stash of $72,000 equivalent of Bitcoin, uh, will be pretty, that's pretty significant. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're living in a dirt floor at a shanty somewhere, or if you're living in a, you know, in a mansion in Palm Beach, an extra $72,000 in the world's hardest money, uh, the the most, the hard, the most hard, the, the, the most, the, the hardest, the most hardest, the hardest asset ever discovered, harder than gold, the, 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 uh, the easiest to transact, the most secure asset ever invented, ever discovered. Uh, that would that that may, might not be life changing to to everybody, but it would be certainly life changing to most. Uh, and most of the world, uh, to most of the world, that would be life that would be life altering radically. So, all right, real quick, I want to reach out and ask you to help support the podcast, not necessarily financially, but just follow us on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at BTC Bulletin Pod. That's at BTC Bulletin P O D. Uh, the more people that follow us on Twitter, the more people are likely to find out about this podcast and the more people that are likely to get orange pilled. Everybody will be orange pilled eventually, but you get the price of Bitcoin at the price you deserve. You get Bitcoin at the price you deserve and the sooner you can help your friends and family or just complete strangers find out about the podcast, the better off they're going to be one day. And I just like to hear what you have to say. So send me a, uh, send me a DM on Twitter. Leggy, for example, sent me a DM on Twitter last week letting me know that I had an issue with the podcast audio. Uh, last week was the first podcast I had done in our studio in a long time. 
Tonight, I'm not doing the podcast in the studio, and it's not because of the problem we had with the audio. It's because, uh, quite frankly, I have a raging ear infection going on right now, and it is too painful to have headphones on. So um, if I seem a little distracted, I'm always a little distracted, right? But if I seem a little more distracted than usual, it's probably the fact that I'm in excruciating pain right now. Uh, but I like to hear from you. If you can't follow us on Twitter, if you're not, if you don't use Twitter, we are on Noster, and our Noster public key is in the show notes. Uh, but again, on Twitter, we are at BTC Bullion Pod. And if you want to send me an email, my email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Either way, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Also, you know, if you if you subscribe to the podcast, whatever podcast uh, app platform you're using, you can either subscribe to the podcast or set up automatic downloads and or rate and review the podcast. All of that helps feed the algorithm. And the more favorable the algorithm looks upon us, Again, the more people are likely to hear about the Bitcoin Bolton podcast, and hopefully we'll help Orange Pill, uh, help Orange Pill more people, friends, strangers. It shouldn't matter because Bitcoin is for everybody. Of course, you can also support the podcast by using any of the referral links in the show notes. As I mentioned, there's that Cash App referral link where you get $5 free for signing up. There's also a Strike referral link in the show notes where you get $10 free for signing up. And there's a referral code for the Fold app in there as well, where I believe the current offer is you get 20,000 sats for signing up for their free debit card. Uh, I use their debit card. Again, none of these are sponsors of the show. I do not use their paid uh, their paid Spin Plus membership. I just use their, their regular debit card. Uh, basically, I just use it for the free spins. That's a, a way to earn you know, a couple free sats here and there. And you can get 20,000 sats free uh, just for signing up if you don't already use the Fold card. I also used the Fold card when I was on a cruise because I had a free trial for their Spin Plus and their Spin Plus doesn't have any international fees. You know, if you use your credit card in another country, you get hosed on, on fees sometimes. Uh, and the Fold card for the Spin Plus members doesn't have any foreign exchange fees. So I used that Fold card in, in Mexico and the Bahamas. Um, I loaded it up with, with money before I went on my trip because it was, you know, it's a debit card. So I, I put my I put my money that I spent, that I had budgeted to spend on meals and, and uh, souvenirs and things on the fold card and then was able to spend it for uh, for free and get some sats back for doing so. So that was pretty cool. But I digress. Again, these are not sponsors. They're just some of the services I use. And if you choose to use them, please consider signing up using those referral codes. You'll get something, you know, for doing so more so than you would get for just signing up without uh, without a referral. All right. Well, that's two years of the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast, more than two years of stacking sats together, more than two years of trying out our DCA Wednesday hypothesis. So thank you for all of you who've been listening all along. Thank you to those of you who just recently discovered us. Thank you to everyone, regardless of where you may be. If I didn't give a shout out to you in your country, it doesn't matter. Hit me up, you know, with a with a with a DM, hit me up with an email, hit me up with a boostergram. Let me know where you're listening and how you say hello and thank you in, in the country where you're listening. And even if you don't make it in the top 10, if you send a boost, I'll read it out on the show. And, and if nothing else, I'll know how to say thank you in a language that I might not have learned how to do so in yet. But either way, thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday for our next DCA Wednesday episode where we grow that stack together. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>